Welcome to Type Tune Tint. I'm Tom Kranz. The Russian folk song, The Ural Rowan Tree, a reminder of a time before Russia became a global villain by waging war on Ukraine. My guest today, Rob Feldman, spent several years going back and forth between the U.S. and Russia in the early 2000s to produce television shows for Sony International. It was a time when relations with Russia were less fraught, and American television was a curiosity. A native Philadelphian, news producer, and lifelong amateur photographer, Rob had a unique opportunity to bring American sitcoms to Russia and to document his time there with amazing photographs, a talent that always bubbled under the surface, then blossomed later in life. And joining me now from his palatial estate in Upper Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Rob Feldman, my old friend from WCAU in Philadelphia. Rob, welcome to Type 2 Tip. Pleasure to see you again. Uh, And Rob and I both worked at this TV station in Philadelphia during the 80s. And then we went our separate ways. And then Rob had this incredible career, which we'll talk about shortly. And I had like an okay career. Uh, But the reason we're here today is I discovered that Rob is a great photographer. Suddenly his photographs started showing up on Facebook, Instagram, mostly Instagram. And he's got an Instagram channel, which we'll, which we'll look at. And he's got a great website and you've got a great eye, man. How long have you taken pictures? Is this something you've done your entire life or what? I always wanted to live in the country, but I never could for obvious reasons. You know, TV stations weren't in the, they were always in the cities, not the country. And I needed to be near, near an airport or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I just drove around, started driving around here, and I couldn't believe one farm was more beautiful than the next farm, you know? A great job uh, up here of preserving the open space. There's uh, kind of a cornucopia of conservancies uh, that that buy up these lands and conserve them from future development. And it really preserves the rural character of this area. And that's what I wanted to capture because, quite frankly, I'd never seen it before. I lived in Philly for 37 years and had never even been to Doylestown. If you started during the film days, I started taking pictures during film days, too. I had it a Canon AT1. It was not only film, it was completely manual. Yes. Right. So you had to set the F stop and everything. And it had that little circle thing that you had to put the stick through to make sure you're yeah. it was actually a great way to learn photography, just as I'm right. sure darkroom photography was. But now today, I just invested in a new Sony mirrorless camera. I can't even remember what it was like taking pictures without, you know, digital. You know, when I in 1998, when I was in Japan for for CBS. A friend of mine bought his first digital. He bought a Minolta camera in Japan because he thought it was he was hot shit and thought he got a great deal. He really didn't. But I said, "Wow, this is really cool." So now, what you got to tell me? What kind of camera you use, and what do you use? A variety of lenses, or do you use a kit lens, or what are you using? Well, it's funny you should ask. You just happen to have it there, right? Happen to have my Fujifilm X one hundred F which is a digital rangefinder with a prime lens. This is a, uh, well, it would be a 35 millimeter equivalent in a film camera, hmm. 23 digital. So there's no zoom. There's no wide angle. It, it just is what it is. And uh, it brings with it its own set of creative challenges. You know, you, you definitely have to get close enough. Yeah, you have to move around, right? 
You have to move around. Exactly. But, but it's like uh, Robert Kappa once said, if your pictures aren't good enough, you're not getting close enough. You know, yeah. it, it forces you. Uh, and if you see me out shooting, you know, I'm bending and contorting to try to fit everything in the frame. And, you know, it, but I like the simplicity of it. it, it it's it can fit in my pocket. You know, sure. I don't have to buy all kinds of interchangeable lenses. So this is your go-to camera and lens. This is what you're using now. This is it. Yeah. yeah. Is this what you used when you were in Russia as well, or was there a different oh, no. camera? I had there? a couple. Uh, I had a couple of digital Leicas, like the first digital Leica. Oh yeah. But they were like you know five megapixels. They weren't very sure. advanced. They looked cool, you know. Uh, and I had an Olympus. Uh, but like I say, none of them were very good and. Uh, it's just a different ball game now with these things. Although I would say the learning curve is a little steeper on these too. So when did you go to work for Sony and when did you start getting on and off airplanes all the time? I, I started consulting for them in 98. Um, but I didn't become a, a full-time employee until 2002 or three. Well, what was the nature of that job that took you all these to all these different places? Well, <laughs> Two things. You know, we, we had productions all over the world. We would do original production by teaming up American writers, producers, and directors with the local producers. What's a production, for example? Are we talking a movie, a film, a news program? Everything from uh, original episodic series, uh, miniseries. But we also had a huge business, and we pioneered this business, of remaking American sitcoms overseas with local actors, local writers. We would adapt the scripts hmm. uh, to The Nanny, Married with Children, Who's the Boss, Everybody Loves Raymond. And we did these. I kissed The Nanny in 11 different countries, you know. Hmm. Uh we did this all over the world and it was extremely successful. We would try to adapt the scripts to the cultural sensitivities and some things you had to throw out entirely, maybe 20% of the scripts, but these were huge hits. Uh, the everybody loves Raymond and married with children are the biggest uh, hit comedies in Russia of all time. More with Rob Feldman in just a moment. The Earth is dying a slow death. The 5,000 people living on the moon are in trouble. Their paradise has become a cautionary tale of human weakness. We need a hero. Enter Rick Mack and the Planetary Commission to save the Earth, the moon, and themselves. Moon Rescue, Escape from the Dome by Tom Krantz. Now available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook. Well, so you basically adapted these sitcoms, some of which were, well, that's just me talking, some of which probably sucked. But anyway, so you adapted them and then that you hired local talent, and obviously the scripts were translated into the right language. And wow, yes. and we that's a hell fly, of a job. We would fly armies of American consultants, the writers from the original uh, 
sitcoms, the director of Seinfeld. Uh, we had two year round hotel rooms in Moscow and I, I went around and rented five apartments because we had plane loads of people coming back and forth. Now you got to remember, this was a different time. Right. Moscow was awash in oil money. Oil was almost $150 a barrel. Uh, it was a period of increased cooperation with Western businesses. Uh, totally different than what we have now, obviously. And the yeah. economics, uh, regardless of the politics, are completely different. So what you did then could never happen today, I'm guessing. That's right. In fact, we became so successful in, in Russia. And I literally, first we had to sell the rights to these deals before we can actually get into production. I did tens of millions of dollars in business with Kremlin broadcasters. You know, wow. uh, I, I did business with some of the guys that are being sanctioned now by our government. So you went there many, many times to do this, and each time or some of the times you took photographs, of course. Right, because there's a lot of downtime. If you're there for six weeks, you know, you're not working seven days a week. Uh, so, yeah, like on weekends, I would just walk the streets of Moscow. When you were taking pictures in Moscow, did you ever get hassled by police, by the Cape, by anybody, or were you able to just kind of walk around and take pictures of whatever you wanted? Uh, surprisingly, I got hassled more in Miami than I ever got hassled in Moscow. In fact, I got detained by Homeland Security flying back to Miami twice really? uh, from Moscow. Yeah. Uh, which is another, by the way, they take you into a room. You're not allowed to make a phone call. So if you have somebody picking you up at the airport, forget about it. Oh, man. Why did they, why did they, did they just, because they knew you were coming from Russia or? Uh, you know, the, the officer Perez looked at my passport and said, Feldman, very unusual name. Uh, I, I said, about as unusual as Perez in Miami, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's just a lot of suspicion. Who knows? Uh, I got you. Yeah, but no, I never got hassled. And, and there's one picture of uh, a hammer and sickle that I took etched on the side of a building. I'm, I'm standing out there photographing this building, and I thought, oh, this looks cool, this hammer and a sickle. And I didn't realize until a few minutes later when somebody told me, that was the FSB building, which is the successor to the KGB. <laughs> nice. But you were able to take the picture around. and... And nobody cared, evidently, right? Nobody cared, yeah. All right, so now here it is, 2023, and, you know, the world is essentially at war, at least metaphorically with Russia. Things are a lot different. What What are your thoughts about what's going on and about, about Putin's belligerency? Did you ever see any signs of that while you were there, this whole idea that – you know, Ukraine still belongs to us, and and what you know, what's what's on your mind when you see this stuff happening now? Well, that's a great question. Um, at that time, you Ukrainians and Russians were like cousins. There was a lot of back and forth, a lot of cooperation in the TV industries, uh, especially in terms of rights sharing and and things like that. Um, but there was always, uh, they took exception to American exceptionalism, put it mm. that way. Uh, you know, we like I said, we flew in a lot of experts to consult them on, you know, like how to structure a sitcom. And they don't always like being told what to do. 
not that any of us might. So it, but that took a special skill in and of itself to be able mm. to translate that stuff across cultures without offending people. Mm. Um, and luckily, the only people I managed to offend were Americans, you know, but the Russians <laughs> totally embraced me, you know. But oh, they, that, that said, and to this day, I still have Russian friends uh, and Ukrainian friends. You always got a sense that they kept you at an arm's length, um, even though you may be considered friends. I got you. Do you feel any, at the time, did you feel any kind of camaraderie, uh, familial collegiality with people in Russia, with either people you knew? Did you have friends there? Do you yeah. wonder whatever happened to them now? You know, that I kind of thing. I still talk to some of them. I still Boy. talk to some of them. We don't talk too much about the war. We did in the beginning. Uh, and by the way, they're all on VPNs and Telegram and Instagram. So, you know, all these internet blocking things, don't believe it. They, you know, they can get whatever news they want from whatever you. source they want, just like yeah. the rest of us. Uh, but no, I, I never felt, you know, that kind of overt aggression. Gotcha. If anything, like I said, that was the time of they were embracing Western ideals. So I, I have Ukrainian heritage too. Um, so, you know, what's going on now just uh, saddens me. And what, what saddens me even more is that a lot of Americans don't really grasp the significance of it. Sure. Ukrainians are fighting this battle so that the rest of us don't have to. Tell me, um, are you planning, when's your book coming out? I am the worst when it comes to picking out my own photographs, even to, to give a photograph as a gift. Uh, I, I gave my doctor a framed photograph for her new office, you know, and then like a week later, oh, that was the worst photo. Why did I pick that one? I, I can't pick 10 photographs to, to publish in like a little mini book, you know? Well, then you got to get an editor or something. But I got to tell you, you don't have any bad ones. At least the ones I've seen are all, every single one tells a story. The color's beautiful. I know you probably do a little work on it afterwards, but they're just... It's like I can sit and look at each one for like a minute or two and just kind of figure out, you, you know, I can feel what you were trying to do there, which is great. By the way, for those of you out there who are watching the video version of this as opposed to the audio version, uh, I hope that you enjoyed the photographs, uh, Rob's photographs that we showed. Many, many, many more exist at Rob Feldman. Is it Rob Feldman Photography? robfeldmanphotos.com Rob they're all there and rob also has an instagram account what's your handle there rob.feldman all right so rob feldman is not an is a might be a common name but if you put the dot in there rob feldman photos etc exactly okay <laughs> i find it interesting that so many of us ex newsies went yeah. writing yeah. because i feel like I wrote so much during my 25 or 30 years in news that I never want to write again. You know, it's like the last thing I want to do is write. Which yeah. I find it fascinating that you write books now. You well, know? yeah, I always wanted, you know, I liked uh, I, the last two I wrote were science fiction books. And that's because I've been a sci-fi fan since I was a kid. And, you know, it's like it's guardrails, man. When you're writing news, it's not the same news. Is, I got into the news business when I was in, in college because I wanted to write a lot and I wanted to write about what's going on in the world. And so then when I was shown the door for the third time by CBS, I decided maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. 
And so then I was able to do, as you said, you know, I was able to kind of look around and, you know, figuratively and write what I wanted to write. You know, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I'm not going to be interviewed by Stephen Colbert anytime soon. And I'm, I'm, you know, I sell a handful of books a year, but I don't care. That's not why I'm doing it. I do it because I love doing it. So um, I really appreciate you joining me here. And I hope that uh, I need to get an excuse to come to Bucks County and visit. And we can talk more about Philadelphia TV, what's on now, what's not on now. By the way, I spend so much time yelling at CNN. My wife is absolutely, she's done with it. You know, it's like, it's not breaking news, damn it. It broke three days ago. Um, but, you but know, that's. Lie, and I have but, it on now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me too. But Rob, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, and I wish you a lot of luck and keep on taking those pictures. Thanks. Good talking to you. One devastating mistake erased 20 years of good? The road to redemption for volunteer EMT Griffin Ambrose is dark indeed. A crashed ambulance, a dead patient, an injured partner, then testing legally drunk. After going to jail, losing his EMT card, and getting fired from his paid job, he contemplates a new life in exile. But some of his former patients haven't forgotten the good he did, the lives he saved. Will their support be enough to allow him to rise from oblivion? Read Wreck and Return, the new novel by Tom Krantz, available on Amazon. Wreck and Return, in ebook and paperback. <laughs>